crazy technology. Okay, let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much again just for the privilege of being here right now, celebrating as your family, as your children, gathering together in the name of Christ. We ask that you bless everyone that's here right now and everyone even online about to listen to this message, that you prepare our hearts, that you humble us and open our hearts to what you have to say today. And we know you're always working in us, Father. We know your spirit is always active in our souls. And today we submit to you and submit to your word to hear your message for us today. And most of all, Father, we thank you for sending your Son, Jesus Christ, out of heaven to become a man, to once for all take our place of judgment at the cross so that we don't have to worry about judgment anymore. For those who trust in Christ as their God and Savior, we can just live life in joy, knowing we're saved and knowing we have you with us at all times. So, Father, we ask that you bless this message. Guide us through your Holy Spirit. And it's in Christ's precious name we pray, through the power of the Spirit. Amen. Okay, well, special series this week, as you can see, uh, called Giving the Gospel. And um, I'm even curious, as a teacher, uh, where he's actually going to take this over the next week. I don't fully know. I know he put this on my heart a few weeks ago to start getting ready. And um, I look forward to what he has to say, because obviously this has been a clear emphasis in our ministry in the last few months, especially. And the reason we're here is centered around the gospel, one way or the other. So God has been doing some wonderful things in our hearts and in our lives. He's been encouraging us to go out in various ways, to reach out to the lost with Christ's love in some way, shape, or form. And some people have been going to the parks, as you saw in the pictures, um, witnessing to the homeless people in Providence, uh, sharing food and water with them along with the gospel, and even our pastor carrying his new sign up and down the streets, uh, sharing the good news with passersby. God's obviously on the move. Like, this is not stuff that you can force. Uh, this is stuff that he motivates you to do over time, and then he opens up doors when you're ready and if you're open. And we should rejoice, first of all, in what God's been doing in our congregation and with the Great Commission, that we're not ignoring that great call, that great commission that Christ gave us, um, you know, ignoring it and thinking that it's all about us, it's all about the church, it's all about this little thing we do here, when really this thing we do here is to recoup and strengthen us and encourage one another and so that we can go out and really do as well. So Pastor wrote in his blog yesterday, don't be condemned if you're not there yet. And at the same time, don't inadvertently condemn others for not doing what you or someone else might be called to do. God has his ways and his timing with each of us. And it's individual and it's personal. 
So first of all, relax if you feel like, you know, you should be doing something you're not doing. All right, really all you need to do is be humble and pray about it. And then God will show you if and when he wants you to do something. So not everyone's called to go to a park, for example. Not everyone's called to reach out to the homeless. But maybe God is gearing you up for a different way of going out and sharing the good news. Maybe a unique way. In fact, there may be infinite unique ways that he uses us to reach out. Regardless of the details, let's rejoice first together in what he's doing. Right? You know what I'm saying? Let's rejoice in what he's doing. Let's enjoy this process and the things that he's showing us. And let's pray for one another and pray persistently. Remember that passage about the guy knocking for some bread at midnight and how God loves persistent prayer? Those who ask for spiritual things, he's not going to say no to. He's your father. So let's pray persistently for one another and for our own calling and what, what God you know, wants us to do. Um, and pray for those that are out there that are being reached because there are a lot of hurting people out there, which the more you get out there, the more you see that. And the more you kind of lay your heart, heart on the line too. But it's a wonderful thing and, and it's a great perspective as you start reaching out to people. You see, it's a good perspective and to realize how blessed you are uh, as opposed to what a lot of other people are going through. So as we get into this series on giving the gospel, remember the word gospel means good news. And in fact, that's how I start a lot of my conversations with people out in the parks or whatever, is do you know the good news? The word gospel means uh, good news. So you'd be surprised how many people don't understand the gospel, even those brought up in church. They don't really know the gospel. They don't really know the good news. I believe the Spirit has ordained this series to give us courage, to encourage us that to reach out with the good news is not as difficult or complicated as we like to make it. Even the faith of a child can say to somebody, do you know the good news? Even one of our kids in prep school, they've probably done it with some of the kids at school. You know, how hard is that? Do you know the good news? Oh, you don't? Oh, let me just tell you. And why? Why do we complicate it? Why do we make it about ourselves? Why do we intellectualize it? Why don't we just share the good news as though you just learned it yesterday? You just discovered it yesterday and someone else doesn't know and they need to know. So we certainly complicate things way too much. We make things into a project, don't we? I guess that's the flesh. Everything's a project. You know, if you're a parent, you probably said that to your kids over the years. Why are you making this into a project? Just do it. Well, maybe God the Father is saying that to us right now. We're funny creatures, how we get in the way. We're all called to plant seeds. That's all we're called to do. Can you plant a seed? You're not called to literally save someone. You're not called to convict someone's heart, which only the Holy Spirit can do. But anybody can plant a seed. A little child can plant a seed. A little child can water the seed. 
And that's all that God is asking us to do because he knows that's all we're capable of, honestly. And that's wonderful because that means it's all grace. All we do is participate. <laughs> it's like if you told a little kid to go water a plant, right? They water in the plant. You go, oh, good job to encourage them a little bit. But was that really a good job? Isn't that something that was obviously extremely simple? So we can't even take credit for these little things that God asks us to do. He just wants us to be there. He just wants us to be willing to grab the pot, so to speak, and water the plant. So we're all called to plant seeds. And only God can cause the growth. And maybe that's all we're called to do is simply explain the good news in love with the faith of a child. As we'll see in this series, there are a multitude of directions the Spirit may lead you in, and hopefully with a partner by your side. As we know, Jesus sent the disciples out in twos. We're going to see that giving the gospel should be fun and just part of our normal lifestyles as a believer. Not something that we have to make into a project again, uh, make difficult, make complicated. It's who we are and it's what we do. You're a believer in Christ. That's who you are. If you're a believer, you believe. And if you believe, you share that belief because it's good news, not bad news. So we share God's grace and love with those who need it. That's what we do as believers. And is there a greater gift we could, quote-unquote, give to others than the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ? Is it possibly a greater gift? Obviously not. It's the gift of eternal life that we have on our, the tips of our tongues. And all God's saying is, will you let me use your tongue for a minute? Will you go out there? Will you be willing and let me use your tongue for a minute? Let me help you say, <laughs> tell people about the gift. The Lord himself said it's more blessed to give than to receive. And I, I can tell you from my own personal experience, um, getting out there and witnessing more, it is more blessed to give than to receive. We all know that's why the Lord came, to give. He gave himself. He gave the good news to others while he was on earth. He told them about the good news of the kingdom and salvation through him, that mankind can be saved despite the guilt of his sin. So that's what we do. We give. And it's more blessed in the process to give than to receive. We look for blessings, we look for happiness in certain things in the world, right? And we're, we're, we're looking at it the wrong way. We've got a, a wrong belief system where the true blessings are when you give. That's opposite of our human nature, right? But the true blessings are when you give. And you know this, you know, when you give a wonderful gift to somebody that's really appreciated, um, maybe it's a surprise, uh, maybe... Whatever, it probably was a sacrifice if you give a, a nice gift to somebody. It's usually a sacrifice of money or time or whatever. So now, imagine giving the good news to someone who actually appreciates it. Not everyone appreciates it. 
But imagine the blessing you get from that. Giving the gift of eternal life. And let's not forget, someone gave to you. As an extension of Christ, we have the opportunity to give to others, just as someone else in our own lives gave the gospel to us. Do you remember that? Do you remember who that was? Might have been a preacher on TV. Might have been a friend. Might have been a pastor. Uh, Might have been a street evangelist. I don't know, but we all have our story, and we all can think back. How grateful are you to that person that told you about the gift of eternal life through Christ? We have the daily opportunity to be that person for somebody else. Not to our own credit. We have that chance every day to be that person that someone can look back on and say, wow, I'm so glad years ago they gave me the good news because I didn't get it. I was religious. I went to church. I knew who Jesus was. At least I thought I did. But I'm so glad they gave me the good news and now I understand it. So we have the, the opportunity every day to participate in saving people's lives. True life. So this series on giving the gospel is not going to be filled with new revelations. That's not what we're here for at this time. In fact, a lot of this you may already know, but the Spirit wants the rubber to meet the road. He wants us to talk about it as a family. He wants to bring certain things to light. And actually, what you're going to see today is it's a lot about perspective. It's a lot about being open and humble to change our viewpoint, to look at things from God's point of view instead of our own. So first of all, regarding the good news, in light of our emphasis on living in the Great Commission as part of our sanctification, he wants to help us live out these truths and show us it's not all that difficult, but simple and fulfilling and wonderful to our own experience and our own hearts as well. Like, what's going to fill our heart in this world? What's going to satisfy and please your heart truly in this world? Not much. God's love and giving God's love. Giving the gospel. The good news is also that giving the good news bears fruit in our own lives, in our own hearts, in our own souls. So part of the good news is that when you give the good news, you are blessed. And it's a supernatural thing. When you as a believer are obedient to his call, you get blessed. We remember that email from one of our listeners, right? How peace is from obedience. You get blessed by obeying the Great Commission, by going out. You get blessed by giving. And you're not going to experience that until you try it. You're not going to know what that is like, what type of joy that is, what type of contentment, what type of peace, until you obey. All right? And again, it doesn't mean rush out there and go force it and do something maybe that you're not called to do. It means that you're open. It means that you're humble. 
and you're willing to God, let God use your tongue uh, or use your feet to go certain places. So we're talking about a fulfillment of God's very purpose for our lives as believers. Again, on the board, in the light of our emphasis on living in the Great Commission as part of our sanctification, he wants to help us live out these truths and show us it's not all that difficult, but simple and fulfilling and wonderful to our own experience and our own hearts as well. So we can choose to live in it, in other words, live in the gospel. And it will give us peace and joy that's inexpressible in human language. It's a supernatural thing. And that peace and joy comes when we spread the good news and live in the gospel reality. We don't just say what we believe. We don't write down our doctrines and kind of sit in a corner like a chicken on eggs, just laying our eggs. That's not what we're here to do. We're not here to be this spiritual giant on a couch. We're here to... <laughs> talk. DJ Lakes, keep, keep laughing, man. I love it. We're not here to do that thing. Like That's like a deception. That's like us deceiving ourselves into thinking that we're at the place God wants us to be. He's got so much more. And until we live in the gospel reality, we don't enjoy the fulfillment of the gospel, being active in our lives. So as Jesus himself said, again, it's more blessed to give than to receive. And there's nothing greater we could enjoy giving. Let's look at the perspective the Lord taught in Luke chapter 14. Go to Luke 14, verse 12. And while this is not directly about giving the gospel to somebody, it is certainly related, and it's more of a perspective issue that God wants us to see right now. Look at Luke 14, 12. And he also went on to say to, to the one who had invited him, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors. Otherwise, they may also invite you in return, and that will be your repayment. But when you give a reception, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Who's going to be blessed? It doesn't say they are. It says you will be blessed. Now, obviously, they will be too to some degree, hopefully, both through maybe physical food and spiritual food. But what does it say? It says when you give a reception, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed since they do not have the means to repay you and you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. The greatest banquet we could invite people to is to dine on the bread of life, Jesus himself. That's the greatest banquet we could give. But sometimes it takes a literal banquet to bring that about, like, like real food, okay? Like actually really helping someone when they're hungry, like James talked about. If you see your brother in need and you ignore them, how do you say that the love of God is in you? So sometimes it takes that table, that food at the table, to bring about the other food 
And what are they seeing? These people are seeing that you actually care about them. They're seeing the love of Christ. And even just from our experience going out, I can tell you some people are kind of befuddled by it. They're like, why are you doing this? Like, what, what, do, you, what do you want? How much, is, how much is the water you're passing out? You know, uh, that's Michael's, Michael's thing that's been on his heart, passing out ice cold waters here in the summer at these parks. And some people will say when he's offering a water, how much? I, I'm sorry, I don't have any money. I'm sorry, I don't have any money. And we could say, no, no, it's free, free. We're giving them out. You know, in the name of Christ, we're giving them out. And people are kind of taken back by that because nobody else cares about them. Let's be honest. And other than a few dedicated Christians that might be out there, there are other people giving the gospel at the homeless park too, we've found out. But these people need to see the love of Christ before they'll listen to the love of Christ. How many people will give out a track and their whole objective is to give out that track? So people just take it just to shut you up in a way. You know what I mean? Oh, you want me to take it? Okay, I'll take it. But is that showing the love of Christ? I mean, if your heart's right, yeah. But maybe God wants us to talk to them, (laughs) care for somebody, show somebody you care. Heck, it could be an old friend of yours. It could be a neighbor that's a shut-in. It could be so many different people. But maybe God wants you to show the love of Christ. And then maybe you'll get to speak the gospel. So giving a banquet, you know, to outcasts, to poor people, you know, feeding the homeless without any cost to them, it shows those who are hurting the love of Christ. And what came to my mind when when I read this passage in Luke 14 is even bringing Okay, see, back in the early church, everyone lived in a village. So everyone lived close. Everyone, you'd walk everywhere, right? There's no cars. If you were rich, you had a donkey. But everyone lived close proximity, right? So you knew who the outcasts were. You knew who the poor people were. You knew where to find them. You could often maybe see them right from your home. So when it says, when Jesus says, you know, invite them to your reception instead of people you know, that was feasible back then. In our culture, it's not feasible. So what about bringing the dining table to them? And what came to my mind is, why not bring, you know, a full picnic to a park, a homeless park? Lay it out like the Last Supper, you know, putting a big blanket down, a big tablecloth down on the ground even, and laying out food and inviting that guy and that guy and that girl and that girl and that kid who you know are homeless or struggling. And now you've got a table from the Lord. Just a thought, but look at the heart. Look what the Lord is saying in Luke 14. He's saying, invite those that are in need, and you'll be blessed. Stop feeding each other. (laughs) Uh, You know, like, how many times can you hold a banquet for your friend, right? Invite only your friends over. How many times can you do that? And is that is that the righteous thing, or is this the righteous thing in Luke 14? Right? So, people will ask why 
you do these kind of things, and that's your open door. You, you know, listen, you, you might barely speak. You might, you might barely need to speak. You might be able to give somebody food who really needs it and let them ask you why you're doing this, and you can say the word Christ, and you're done. You gave the gospel in a way. I don't know, maybe that's all he's calls, calling you to do. There's so many different ways. But people often need to see you care. They need to see the love of Christ in action. But God right now is changing our hearts. You see, he's changing our perspectives, the way we look at things. And when you obey, you will be blessed. On the board, God wants to change our perspective, the way we look at things in life what's really important, and what real blessings are in life. God's like, you think you know. You think you know what real blessings are, but you don't. You think you know what will make you happy, but you actually don't. The things, that, the things I can make you happy with are going to give you true happiness. Real blessings. If you do these things, you will be blessed. It's more blessed to give than to receive. So, for example, we should desire to become a partaker of the gospel, like the Apostle Paul desired in 1 Corinthians 9. Go to 1 Corinthians 9, verse 19. We should desire to become a partaker of the gospel. Because if we do that thing, we will have true joy. And just to give you a little example of that and how it's more blessed to give than to receive, one day I was at um, Slater Park in Pawtucket with Annie, Ann Parent. Many of you know Annie. She's very talkative. I couldn't shut her up. <laughs> but Annie's not here. She's going to enjoy this message. But Annie came out with me that day and we shared the gospel with a few people. And there's this one young man named Nicholas, 15-year-old boy, uh, just a good young kid, but searching. And we had about a 15-minute talk with him. And you know what? He said he went to church with his grandfather, then his grandfather died. And when we asked him, do you know what the gospel is? He said, no, not really. And when we explained the gospel to him, he, his eyes lit up. His eyes look, he's like, wow, that's amazing. I never really, I didn't understand that. And so he's on our hearts, you know, to this day. Um, you know, hopefully that he accepted that gospel and maybe we'll see him again one day. But his eyes lit up. And what's the point? The point is that there's, there's this, a different joy when you give the gospel and someone receives it. It's, it's different. It's supernatural. So all we did was be there. And we got to see the Lord working. And if it's for only one, that's awesome. Look at 1 Corinthians 9.19. For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a slave to all, so that I may win more. To the Jews I became as a Jew, so that I might win Jews. To those who are under the law, as under the law, though not myself being under the law, so that I might win those who are under the law. To those who are without law, as without law, 
though not being without the law of God, but under the law of Christ, so that I might win those who are without law. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men, so that by all means, I, I, I may by all means save some. I do all things for the sake of the gospel, so that I may become a fellow partaker of it. So first of all, Paul is willing to do whatever he needs to do to relate to people so that he may win some. You know, you know you've heard the expression, win someone over, right? Well, he's relating to all these different people, you know, sitting down with them on their bench, whatever class they fall into, whatever culture, whatever lifestyle, he sits down with them on their bench. Not sinning, not doing things against God, but he relates to them. And that gave him a seat at the table or on the bench so that when they see he cared or whatever, they they saw he related to them, he understood what they were going through, he was hoping he might win some, save some. That's all it takes is really very often being a friend, being willing to relate to somebody. And then in verse 23 again, he says, I do all things for the sake of the gospel so that I may become a fellow partaker of it. Now, what does Paul mean there? Paul is saved at this point. He's a believer. He's saved. He's already a partaker of the gospel, isn't he? So what is Paul saying that I may become a fellow partaker on the board? Regarding a fellow partaker of the gospel, the Greek word for partaker means a co-participant. A co-participant. Paul realized he had an opportunity, only in this life, to become a co-participant of the gospel. And that means to participate in the gospel, uh, apparently giving it, quote-unquote, giving it to others, as this whole passage talks about. That's how he could become a partaker of the gospel, and that's how we can become a partaker of the gospel. It's pretty clear Paul didn't want time to pass by and he missed out on being a partaker of the gospel. He missed out on being a co-participant of the gospel. And look what he says next in context. Again, look at verse 23. I do all things for the sake of the gospel so that I may become a fellow partaker of it. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run? but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may win. Everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things, but they do it to receive a perishable wreath. We, an imperishable. Remember Luke 14 where Jesus said, you'll be rewarded in heaven? It's more blessed to give to those that are in need and you'll be rewarded in heaven? Well, again, they do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we, an imperishable. Therefore, I run in such a way as not without aim. I box in such a way as not beating the air. But I discipline my body and make it my slave, so that after I preach to others, 
I myself will not be disqualified. Now I want you to think about the context that this is written in. Going all the way back to verse 19 on the board. The quote-unquote race to quote-unquote win others has to do with giving the gospel. The race is giving the gospel in whatever way we can as a vital part of running that race set before us. If we read that whole passage in context, we see that. And I used to think this passage was more about spiritual maturity, you know, growing up spiritually and, you know, sacrificing for God, etc. But in context, it's about running the race and sharing the gospel that you might win some. What other reason are we here? I mean, there's a couple, but that's definitely one of the big ones. And Paul said, I want to become a co-participant in Christ's commission before the time passes me by. I'm running the race because I only have so much time left. And I want to win some so I can be a co-participant in the gospel. What a perspective. So the scripture encourages us to make the most of our time. And God wants to change our perspective a bit this morning as a precursor to this series. On the board, regarding our time, in quotes, because is it really our time? It's a gift, really. But have you ever wondered why the culture in America often talks about pastimes? Do you realize we Americans have been duped into looking for selfish ways to, quote-unquote, pass the time? And you know this doesn't really take place in third world countries, this attitude? <laughs> they pass the time because they have to work their tails off just to put food on the table. And they pass the time, at least the Christians do, by worshiping God and praying and singing. There's no such thing as having extra time on your hands and looking for ways to pass the time, hopefully ignoring the conviction of God on your heart, as most Americans try to do. Have you ever wondered, though, just perspective-wise, why does our culture in America often talk about pastimes? And do you realize that we have been duped into looking, even searching, for more and more ways to be selfish and pass our time in peace, so to speak? What can we do to have fun? What can we do for ourselves? Isn't that what we're always asking ourselves? Well, you know, I got this afternoon off. Sunday, it's beautiful out. What can I do? Maybe I'll go to the beach because I'll enjoy the sun and the clam cakes and the water. Is there anything wrong with that? Not in it of itself. Is there anything wrong with that if that's our lifestyle? To always pass the time for self, for selfish gain or for selfish whatever, pleasure, whatever you want to call it. What can I find to satisfy my desires and even forget about life for a while? Have we been duped into that thinking? If you're honest, the way we think is all about ourselves and satisfying ourselves. 
hopefully not all of us in this room, hopefully not all of us that have been into the Word of God for any amount of time, but we know we still fall into this way of thinking. So we're talking about like falsely, um, uselessly passing the time. Okay? Again, the first question on the board, have you ever wondered why the culture in America often talks about pastimes? Even think about baseball. Baseball is called America's pastime. Where did that phrase come from? I'll tell you who it came from, some very good marketing people that said we can make a ton of money if we can convince people to pass the time with every one of our ball games. And so we have America's pastime. It's accepted. It's even called America's. So it must be good. Duped. And there's no offense if you like baseball. I do too. But on the board, why does our culture encourage us to pass the time on things that are not actually important to God? Just think about why. Why does our culture encourage us that way? You know, years ago, um, American culture didn't, didn't encourage us that way. If you go back 50, 100 years or more, American culture was about God as top priority. It was about being thankful for life itself and all the little things, and it was much more God-centered. Now our culture has developed into this thing. Pass time on things that just satisfy you, that help you forget about life, so that you don't have to address things that are important to God. Why does our culture do that? Where'd that start? Just think about it for a minute. You and I only have days left on this earth. Every one of us, whoever's listening to my voice, even if you're a young person, you only have days left on this earth. So if that's true, and it is, we don't know how many days, but if that's true, and, and it's true that we're all going to meet our Creator one day, face-to-face, and our Savior, thank God, if we're believers in Christ. So if that's all true, what are we doing? Are we going to give in to our culture that encourages us to pass the time on things that are not actually important to God? Are we going to be suckered? Are we going to accept that? As okay? Are we going to keep the blinders on, like willingly, like we always do? If I don't look to the right or left, I don't have to admit what's really going on in my life. I'll just stay focused on this little thing so I don't have to think about life or think about God's call. When God's call is good news, go figure. But we're selfish. Why are many people just happy to find ways to pass the time so they don't have to think too much about their lives? And let's be honest, if you, need to, if you need to reconcile this between you and God, just be honest. This is not condemning. This is like, what's really going on? Open your eyes. What's really going on in the world? What's really going on in our culture? What, what is, is even Satan trying to get us to do in this world? How is he trying to wrap us, you know, so that we don't see, so that we keep blinders on? What's really going on? We, as believers, are new creatures in Christ, however. And God wants to set us free with his perspective. 
Only God's perspective, if you adopt it, can set you free. And he's been doing this, you know, in my own life, thank God, in different ways right now. Um, it's like another way of dropping the chains. It's like more chains to, to let go of. Because the culture does have us in chains. We actually have a wonderful purpose from God. But we have to ask ourselves, whose perspective do we have? If God created us and designed us for a certain purpose, for his glory, does he want our lifestyle to be one of using time for ourselves? Just, just answer that question. Does he want our lifestyle, and that's the key word, lifestyle, okay? Nothing wrong with going to the beach, nothing wrong with watching a baseball game. What's your lifestyle? What's your daily habit? Does he want our lifestyle to be one of using time for ourselves? He gave us another day this morning to wake up. Does he want our lifestyle to be, use this day I just gave you for yourself? Or use this day I just gave you for something good, something divinely good? For me, for others, for the gospel. If God created us and designed us for a certain purpose, for his glory, which he did, does he want our lifestyle to be one of using time for ourselves? Again, whose perspective do you have? Could it be Satan's deception as the God of this world to get us to waste our spiritual lives away so that we don't become a partaker in the gospel? I mean, what do you think is going on in this world? Uh, what do you think? Why do you think American culture offers us a certain level of peace? You know, maybe no attacks from uh, terrorism every Sunday we come to church. Um, maybe people let you do whatever you want to do out there. We have freedom in this country, right? If, a certain, if you have money, you can buy certain things. Why do you think our culture allows us to have or gain a certain type of peace in this world, even though it's not true peace. Maybe, just maybe, so we can ignore our purpose, which comes back to ultimately giving the gospel and others. Could it be Satan's deception as the God of this world to get us to waste our spiritual lives away so that we don't become a partaker of the gospel before it's too late? Back to baseball. Some of you are going to hate me after this. But the American money machine says, let's see if we can put every baseball game on television. 162 a year times 30 teams. You do the math. Let's put every single game on television so that we can give people three to four hours a day to pass the time. So they don't have to really look at their lives. So they don't stay focused on the real reason they're on the earth. How smart is Satan's system? And we could go on and on with technology at our fingertips. It's not just baseball. It's whatever we get ourselves into. But every day, three or four hours a day, 
Is that like God's purpose for your life? Did he put you here to be comfortable? And even though it's not comfortable because then you get fat and eat too much stuff on the couch and you get diabetes and you get heart disease, all because you're sitting on a couch. <laughs> is, that, is that like why we're here? Does God say, hey, you know what? I gave you life. I gave you eternal life. Now take it easy. You know, I don't really have any plans for you. I want you to, I want you to be on vacation until heaven. Is that, <laughs> I'm being silly, obviously, but that's what even Christians have been duped into thinking. And not only three or four hours a day for your baseball game, but let's get an extra hour in. We have some good pre- and post-game analysis with some pretty funny former baseball players that you idolized as a kid. That's right, you can see him speak and even make jokes about other players. You're going to enjoy it. It's entertaining. Have another beer. <laughs> enjoy it. You're here, to enjoy, you're here for yourself. Enjoy, enjoy life. What, what God's getting at this morning is, do you recognize the system that's in place? Do you see how inculcated we've been, institutionalized we've been from childhood? Listen, when it's from childhood, you don't know any better, right? It's, it's real easy to stay blinded when you've been brought up this way saying, this is normal, this is normal, this is good, right? We know nothing else. So guess what? It takes humility to maybe admit we're wrong and change our perspective and actually do what the Bible says. But how smart is Satan's system? Do you recognize, do you see the system in place? Some people call it the machine. Do you see the machine in its full operation, especially in this country? Do you see what's going on? Or are you going to keep the blinders on? And be like, I just want my couch and my beer and my baseball. Again, the point on the board, whose perspective do you have? Could it be that you have Satan's perspective? Could it be Satan's deception as the God of this world to get us to waste our spiritual lives away so that we don't become a partaker in the gospel? That's the main emphasis here so far. In 1 Corinthians 9, Paul's like, I don't want to waste my life away. I'm going to do whatever it takes to try to win some. I'm going to go sit on the bench with them, on their bench, so that I might win some to Christ, and therefore I can be a partaker in the gospel before it's all over. Because I know I only have so many days left. Or are we going to waste our spiritual lives away, and when we get to heaven, we have regrets? I could have been a partaker in the gospel. Why was I so ugh, about me? I could have been a co-participant in the gospel, but I wasn't humble. Ultimately, that's what it comes back to. I wasn't humble. And by the way, it, whether it's baseball or soap operas, ladies, or movies or games, whatever it is, whatever you no longer enjoy is just a treat but it has become a daily consumer of your time, it has become a form of slavery to you and a deception. Is there anything wrong with these things? Yes. So far, yes. 
no matter what you say. <laughs> anyway, uh, but is there anything wrong with enjoying these things? Soap operas, baseball, um, a game, a movie, blah, blah, blah. No, not at all. But are they blocking out your perspective to live in the opportunity that God's given you in time? And for most Americans, they probably have to say yes. It's blocking out my opportunity to live for God and God's purpose in time. And I want to share something with you at this point, too, which is kind of funny looking back on it, which is always, always how it works, right? When you're going through it, you don't really enjoy it. And you're like, God, why are you doing this? Or why, you, why do I have to do this? Or, you know, why, 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 why? We're little brats. But anyway, I've got to share something with you. Um, I enjoy baseball. I enjoy sports. And last year, I wanted to add the sports channels to my cable. All right, I got basic cable. Don't make a lot of money for me. Don't make a lot of money. I'm, I'm, I keep things simple, right? Keep life simple. It's much better, right? But last year, I'm like, you know what? I, I think I can afford to add the sports channels. I enjoy that. There's nothing wrong with that, right? So I call the cable company. I'm like, hi, I want to I add the sports channels to my package. They're like, okay, let's see if we can help you. Click. I get disconnected. I'm like, oh, that's weird. All right, so I call back like an hour later. I'm thinking the phone's busy or something. I call back an hour later. I just want to add the sports channels. Can you help me? Sure, sir, we'll be glad to help you. Click. <laughs> I got disconnected again. So I literally looked up to heaven at that point and said, Lord, are you trying to tell me something? Do you not want me to get the sports channels? I mean, this is kind of ridiculous. It's just sports channels, right? Do you not want me to have this right now? And I actually prayed. I'm like, you know, if you don't want me to have this right now, show me, and I won't take it, okay? Whatever you want. <laughs> so the next day, I call the cable company. <laughs> One last try. <laughs> I, I gave God a chance. I'm like, give me a sign. <laughs> so I'm on with the lady, great lady, she adds the sports channels to my package. She's typing away. I can hear the keyboard going. She's like, okay, we're almost done. Uh, I got your name. I got your blah, 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 blah. Okay, this is added to your package. We should be all set. Click. <laughs> and now I cross my fingers because I'm like, well, she said it was all set. She said she was done. So maybe I got them. Turn the TV on. I don't got them. Don't got them to this day. <laughs> So literally, I believe God said no, um, and literally, I haven't added it, and literally, by God's grace, I'm not a slave to that thing that maybe was making me a slave. Um, <laughs> according to this whole discussion, though, I mean, think about it. Maybe, maybe where God's taken us in the Great Commission, and especially with my gift as an evangelist, right? I better not be sitting on the couch three or four hours a day. Maybe God shut me down for a reason. Maybe like, that won't be good for you. I know there's nothing wrong with a game. But it's not just a game if it's three or four hours every day, right? I mean, what are we doing? What are we here for? Have we been duped by our culture into satisfying our own comforts? So maybe, just maybe... God wanted me to live in my calling instead of live for myself. He's helping me along, nudging me along like a child. You know, come on, keep going. Come on, 
Don't look that way. You don't need to see that. Forget about that. All in my best interest, right? All in our best interest. All in, all in the best interest of others. And yet it was something silly, wasn't it? Seemed silly. Maybe it wasn't. So to this day, I still listen to some baseball games on the radio. <laughs> Don't judge me. But you know what? It's not the center of my day is the point that I take from God. It's not the center of my day anymore by God's grace. It's not consuming my time. Do you know what I mean? Do you see the difference? Think of the word consuming. When I think of the word consuming, I think of gobbling up. I think of if someone's at a table and they haven't eaten in a long time and they literally <laughs> inhale this huge meal in front of them. That's consuming something, like almost gluttony, right? So is that God's purpose for our lives? Clearly not. So by God's grace, maybe he'll give you things or give you ways to avoid being consumed and consuming the things that are meant to be little treats in our lives, little breaks, little blessings. They're meant to be maybe, maybe nice things, but they're not meant to be our lifestyles. And those very things are blocking our opportunity to live for others, live for God, share the gospel. They're, they're, like, they're like shutting us down before we begin. You know what I mean? All right, just pretend for a minute the electricity in our country went off and we have no more TV or computers. So go back 100 years in our country, if you will, when people actually sat around the dinner table, stayed around the dinner table, joked, played cards, um, actually talked about life, talked about the Lord, invited friends over who didn't have enough food, talked about the Lord. So we don't, it's like we don't even have the opportunity to do that anymore because we're blocked off. And we keep those blinders on, right? It's comfortable. I like my blinders. You know, they're made just for my head. I like them. I don't have to see what's going on over there. So I hope you see the difference again. This is not judging any form of entertainment, really, unless it's directly against the word. It's saying we shouldn't be consumed by these things, and we're the ones missing out. You will be blessed if you do these things. We're the ones missing out. So on the board, whose perspective do you have? When something takes over your lifestyle that has nothing to do with God or his gospel, what do you think about that? What do you think about that? Just stop condemning yourself. Okay, be objective. What's your opinion on that? What do you think about that? If you were calling the sh if you were uh, objective, you step back from the situation and you're looking at somebody else's life. I'm not picking on you, Anthony. But you look at somebody else's life. You say, okay, they're doing that, and they're doing that. By the way, don't we judge real easily? Huh. We're, not, we're not consumed by anything, but <laughs> you see what he's doing four hours a day? Oh, my God, I feel so bad. He's so stupid. Whatever. <laughs> right? This is what goes through our brains, being honest. You know, we easily, quickly judge somebody else, but then we're doing the same thing in a different area. But anyway, be objective. Step back. You see somebody doing something, a certain lifestyle, a certain habit, a certain thing that's consuming them. What do you think about that? Don't you call a spade a spade? 
Don't you just say what it is? It is what it is. So why don't you do that with yourself? And we, we're not called to judge one another. We're called to judge ourselves. Right? To discern ourselves. To be honest with God. Again, on the board, when something takes over your lifestyle that has nothing to do with God or his gospel, what do you think about that? Honestly. It could be anything we find to, quote-unquote, pass the time. Any hobbies that have nothing to do with the gospel, nothing to do with helping other people, or reaching out to others with the good news. Maybe we've been duped by the kingdom of darkness into wasting our time and wasting our mission away. Is that possible? It's all perspective. And we owe it to our God and Savior to ask him, do I have the right perspective? Open my eyes. Do I have the wrong perspective on this thing that I like to do? We owe it to God, don't we? Like, as our Lord, Master, Savior, do I have the right perspective? Do you want me to change my perspective regarding some things? If so, have the cable company hang up on me. And he did. But it's between you and the Lord. It's between each of us and the Lord. No one can do it for you. No one's called to judge you. If you have a good friend by your side that might tell you the truth once in a while, that's wonderful. But it's ultimately between you and the Lord. Do you want his perspective? Or do you want to keep your perspective? And don't blame me, by the way. Don't be mad at me this morning. I'm just sharing what he's been putting on my heart for a while, actually. Go finally as we close to Ephesians chapter 5. And then we'll have communion service as well. Ephesians 5, verse 6. Can't believe I got through like half my notes. It was all that cable story. I apologize. <laughs> Ephesians 5, 6. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. That's the same Greek word we saw in 1 Corinthians 9, which means co-participant. Do not be partakers with them. For you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. Do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead even expose them. For it is disgraceful even to speak of the things which are done by them in secret. But all things become visible when they are exposed by the light. For everything that becomes visible is light. For this reason it says, Awake, sleeper! And arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. So we each have to ask ourselves, are we a sleeper? Are you a sleeper? And don't hide from God. I mean, just, you can't hide from him anyway. Awake, sleeper, arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Therefore, be careful how you walk, 
not as unwise men, but as wise. Okay, Lord, well, what's a wise person do? Verse 16, making the most of your time because the days are evil. So then don't be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Making the most of your time because the days are evil. So then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And then it goes on to describe the filling of the Spirit and following His Word, singing, right? Even living for others, subjecting yourselves to Christ. But make the most of your time. Don't be a sleeper. Awake. Make the most of your time because the days are evil. Why are the days evil? I thought they were pretty good, at least in our country. Why are the days evil? Because they go by so fast and you can't ever get them back. Nothing you do can ever get them back. You can't get yesterday back and ask God for a do-over. Can't do it. It's impossible, right? With God, it's possible, but he says, no, that's not part of my plan. I'm not going to let you have a do-over. So the days are evil because you cannot get today back. So what are you going to do with it? So this is all like a setting the stage for this series this week on giving the gospel, honestly. And he put more of this in there than I thought he would put in there in terms of time, how to look at time. You know, what's, what's God's perspective and where have we been duped in the world system? So the days are evil. You can't get any of them back. So pray. You know, ask God to show you his perspective. Ask uh, God to show you how he wants you to look at certain things. Um, ask him even for a sign, you know, something in your life, <laughs> like the cable company, whatever. Ask him, ask him, seriously. I mean, get, talk to him. Have a conversation about these things. <laughs> My dear mother, you know, you know, mother's heart, right? <laughs> Months later, she's like, why don't you just call the cable company and try again? Maybe God will say yes this time. <laughs> I'm like, Ma, that's really nice, but that is, that is a mom. <laughs> Between me and the Lord, God said no. I even prayed about it, and then he slammed the, the phone shut again, right? So pray about it each one of us, between us and the Lord, about our individual situations, because we do not want to miss out on being a partaker of the gospel. We have one chance to be a partaker of the gospel. Whatever your calling is, however you contribute in giving the gospel, it may not even be direct, but we're called to the Great Commission, right? Clearly. And so we're here, we're gathered today, we're here celebrating together today, and we're here to refocus maybe and to get energy and encouragement and say, okay, change my perspective, you know, do what you got to do, and what do you want me to do today, Lord? What do you want me to do? So with that in mind, we'll uh, continue this on Tuesday, and let's now turn to the real reason we're here this morning, which is to celebrate our Lord and his loving sacrifice on the cross. Uh, let's pass out the communion elements. And somebody get the music going, please.
So as we celebrate our Lord's Supper, just think about what we talked about and think about how the Lord actually lived for others, how the Lord followed the Father's will. Um, there was a big problem. There were a lot of people hurting, and he actually did something about it. He wasn't a couch potato. He wasn't just sitting back being a spiritual giant. He lived for others. Every day, he reached out to others, right? It's crazy how he did what he did. But he did it all for the sake of others who needed to hear the gospel. In 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three, For I received from the Lord that which I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In memory of our Lord, let's eat the bread. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. In memory of our Lord, let's drink the cup. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's get the lights for the video. Live 
and pray. Father, Lord, we thank you for your clear message this morning, for your spirit inspiring us to look at things from your perspective, to really see what's going on in our world, in our culture, and to really count time for the valuable gift that it is. Father, most of all, we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, doing something for our salvation, taking judgment out of the way at the cross by taking it upon himself. And if you're listening to my voice right now, but you've never trusted in Christ as your God and Savior, I'm here to tell you that God loves you so much. He did what he did to his son so that he would not have to judge you for your sin. And if you turn to him, if you turn from yourself and turn to Christ as your Savior and your Lord, you will be saved. 
That is a promise from a God who cannot lie. But it's between you and the Lord. And he's listening right now. If you've just believed in Christ as your Lord and Savior, we want to welcome you to the family of God. And we encourage you to continue on in his word and learn his magnificent plan for your life. Father, we ask that you bless us all as we go today. Help us be humble and listen to your perspective. And help us bring the good news out, Father, to a lost and dying world that needs it so desperately. We ask these things in Christ's precious name. By the power of the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen.